Now, as we proceed to discuss the tithe, the second quite important contextual pillar upon which this sits is the understanding of the need for the tithe. That seems a bit absurd if we're talking about God and his ability to provide. But the need for the tithe is not that God needs anything. It is that there is an order that God set up in which there are benefits and responsibilities. The benefits are to the recipients and the responsibilities are also to those who receive the benefits. So what do I mean? Well, the first occurring of the tithe of record is in the book of Genesis chapter 12 at verse 18. Here Abraham is returning from the battle of the kings, five kings of the plains who have abducted Lot and Abraham and his armed men, the men of his household, go out to rescue Abraham's nephew whose name is Lot. And the battle is engaged and Abraham defeats the five kings. As he's returning from the battle, he is in proximity to a city, an ancient Jebusite city, and the king of that city, by the way, the name of that city is Salem, S-A-L-E-M, Salem. And it would later become known as Jerusalem. The meaning of the name of this city in ancient Hebrew is the word for peace, shalom. The word shalom is derived from the term Salem. The Arabic word, by the way, is the word Salim. The ruler of this city has a certain interesting name. It's a combination of two names. It's the name Melki Zedek. Melki means king, Zedek means righteousness. So he is Melki Zedek who is the king of Salem. So you've got the king of righteousness, the name means king of righteousness, and the city over which he rules, it's a city of peace, a city called Peace, Melchizedek, and he is the Tsar or prince. All kings are princes. Not all princes are kings, but all kings are princes. Uh, so he's Tsar, the ancient Hebrew word for prince, Tsar, S-A-R, Shalom, Melchizedek, Tsar Shalom king of righteousness, 
Prince of Peace. Hmm. That should be more than a little bit interesting to you because this is the context in which the tithe is first uh, recorded. I'm not, I'm certainly not convinced this is the first reference, uh, this is the first incident of the offering of the tithe and I'll show you why in just a moment. But this is the first reference to what we will later see was a tradition of the tithe. So Melchizedek comes out, actually this is not a name, you know, this is a description. He has two titles, King of Righteousness and that's really the meaning of the word Melchizedek. It's not like George or Thomas or Sam. Melchizedek, it means Melchi, king, Zedek, righteousness. This is the king of righteousness. He is the prince of a city or the ruler of a city called Salem or Shalom, peace. So he has two titles, Melchizedek, Sar Shalom. King of Righteousness, Prince of Peace. In case you think I'm reaching here, just for fun, come with me to the book of Hebrews and I'd like to take a glance at chapters 6 and 7. Now, the book is called Hebrews for a good reason. It is written to people of the ancestry of Abraham, the the Hebrew, first person who referred to himself as Abraham the Hebrew or was referred to as Abraham the Hebrew, which is actually Abraham the great-great-great-great-grandson of a man named Eber, E-B-E-R, you'll find that in the genealogy of of, uh, Abraham. And from the word Eba or the name Eba, the term Hebrew is is derived. Quite likely Eber was alive at the time of Abraham and was his most prominent ancestor. So he identified himself by reference to his father, his father of several generations. Because they lived a long time back then. And in a moment we'll deconstruct who Melchizedek was. But before we do that, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. And here we we see that um, God gave certain promises by which He swore. And well, let's, let's just begin where it, where it speaks of that. For men indeed swear by, great, by someone greater and an oath confirms what is promised and puts an end to all argument. God, intending to show to the heirs of those who were promised the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it 
by an oath, so that by two immutable things, the oath and the promise, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who take hold of this hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary or the presence behind the curtain where Jesus, the forerunner, has entered for us and has become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So it describes the order of priesthood as the order of royal priests. Melchi is king, Zedek is of righteousness. So there's an order here that's called Melchizedek. Now let's go over into the seventh chapter and we want to connect these two titles. Chapter 6 connects these two titles to Jesus who is, quote, the high priest forever. It means that before this character, whom we haven't identified yet, but only except by title, before this character named uh, with the title Melchizedek, who is also Sar Shalom, King of Righteousness, Prince of Peace, before him there is an order of priests in which he is the priest at the time of Abraham, but in which there is already installed a permanent high priest. That permanent high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not of the order of Levi, he's the order of Melchizedek, which means this character, whom we haven't identified except by reference to his titles, holds two titles, both of which belong to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's crowned with many crowns. Two of the crowns he wears are King of Righteousness and Prince of Peace. His predecessor in antiquity wears these two titles. Now let's go to, but Jesus is the, quote, high priest forever after this order. So there is a prior order of priests and a prior covenant. You can't have a priesthood unless you have a covenant. Hmm? The priesthood are the administrators of a covenant and over every order of priesthood there is a high priest, the summa sacerdote, the high priest. Now the high priest of every order is the embodiment of what the order is about. So although we have priests in the order of Melchizedek, the standard of this priestly office is embodied in the high priest and that is the Lord Jesus Christ who is therefore the 
King of Righteousness, and the Prince of Peace. Now, before I go into chapter 7, come back with me to the book of uh, Isaiah, who identifies the one to be born in, uh, I believe it's chapter 7. Here's how he is identified. Therefore the Lord himself, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And it goes on to say, I mean defining, I mean that's the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what the angels said. But in, in, I believe it's the prior chapter, it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That would be Isaiah 52, I believe. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and Sar Shalom, Isaiah 53, I believe. Anyway, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom. Now go back with me to Hebrews. We're still working with the Hebrews, the descendants of Abraham the Hebrew. Let's look now to chapter 7, and here is what it says, beginning at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first translated, in case you thought I was making it up, of course by now you know I don't, king of righteousness and then also King of Salem, meaning Prince of Peace or King of Peace. Then it describes him in an interesting way. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither the beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood, so he's talking about the difference between the order of Melchizedek and the Levitical order, 
the order that we know of in the Old Testament as the law. What's, what's our first conclusion? The tithe existed before the law. Now, under what priesthood are we in the New Testament if we are in Christ? Levi? No. We are priests in the order of Melchizedek. In fact, we are not just priests in the order of Melchizedek. Because we are in Christ, who is the high priest forever after this order, because we are in Christ, we are in the high priest. We're not just priests of this order. Priests of this order were the Old Testament versions of these, like Melchizedek and others we'll see in a moment. But in the New Testament, we are in the high priest. So we aren't just priests in this order, we are of the high priest. For we, as the body of Christ, are the representations of Christ via the Holy Spirit who speaks through the body, speaks to the body from the head. So priests of this order before Christ operated in types and shadows. Priests of this order in Christ, since Christ, are in Christ and they operate plainly, not as type and shadow, but they operate functionally as Christ in the earth. So we are not just priests of the order of Melchizedek, we are of the high priest. We are the body of the high priest. All right, now go on. And indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood, that was the Old Testament, have a commandment to receive tithes. In that order they had a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Even though they were all the sons of Abraham, they had the right to receive tithes in the Levitical order. But he whose genealogy is not derived from that from them, he whose genealogy is not derived from them, hmm, received tithes from Abraham. Well, who was it who did not uh, wasn't derived from Abraham? Well, Melchizedek. This character, he wasn't derived from Abraham, yet he received tithes not just from the brethren but from Abraham himself. What is the point? The point is that this is an order greater than the order of Levi. Okay? And blessed him who had the promises. So Melchizedek receiving tithes from Abraham, the tenth that Abraham gave him, blessed Abraham who was the recipient of the promise. Now beyond all contradiction, in other words you can't argue with this, this conclusion, beyond all contradiction 
The lesser is blessed by the greater. In this configuration, who is the lesser? Abraham. Who is the greater? Might I say, Christ, the high priest forever, of whose rank or of whose uh, 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 order this character known as Melchizedek is derived? Yes, of course. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater, by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes from his brethren, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Wow! So you think the tithe is an Old Testament law phenomenon? Then you haven't heard of the order of royal priests. And if you haven't heard of it, the most you could claim is to be saved from your sins, but not part of an inheritance of sons, sons of God, in the order of Melchizedek. Christ did not come to continue to enforce the law of Levi. Christ came to resume, to resume the order of royal priests. He could not keep from resuming the order of royal priests. Why? Because he is the Summa Sarsadote. He is the ultimate high priest. This is his order. So if you belong to the sons of God, one of your identities is that of being a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now, in the royal priesthood, Abraham actually was alive before the law, 430 years before the law, Abraham lived. Abraham was never under the law. Understand that. You cannot make the point that Abraham was under the law. He was not. He was under a royal priesthood. Now what did Melchizedek do for Abraham? Let's go back to Genesis 12 for a moment to see what, what exactly was done for uh, Abraham by Melchizedek. Genesis 12, we're looking at about verse 17 or 18. Abraham gave the tithe to Melchizedek. 
And that was after Melchizedek offered bread and wine uh, to Abraham returning from the battle of the kings. And in that transaction, Abraham blessed Melchizedek by the tithe, but Melchizedek presented to Abraham bread and wine. In the presentation of bread and wine, Melchizedek is serving in type and shadow the body and blood of the Lord. In doing so, Abraham is being confirmed as the heir of the promise. Abraham is being confirmed as the heir of the promise because Abraham is the recipient of this great promise that in his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. There were two portions to this promise that Abraham had previously received. One was, I'll make of you a great nation. And, in the, other, and the other part was, and in thy seed I'll bless all the nations of the earth. So this order of royal priests was designed to attend first and foremost the coming forth of Christ, who when he came would be the sacrifice that restored all mankind to God whosoever wills. That restoration would create a holy nation in which all of the members of that holy nation would be viewed as heirs according to this promise. Heirs according to this promise would be designated as the sons of God the sons of God, and they would be administrators of this covenant by which the sons of God in the person of Christ Jesus would be a blessing to the whole earth. Now, when we come back, I want to show you that it was not the first time that God offered this promise to somebody or to a nation. He first offered it to the Jews at Mount Sinai, but we'll come back and place even that within its proper context. Here is part of the promise. Blessing, verse chapter 22 of Genesis, Blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens, sand of the seashore, and so on. And verse 18, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's what God said to Abraham. 
The tithe belongs in this context and we're simply attempting to frame the context to leave no doubt that the tithe belongs in and to the house of God in this present day. And it's not a phenomenon of the law of Moses and of that Old Testament reference. We'll continue in this discussion when we come back. I'm Sam Solon, I'll see you then.